Okay, welcome Blues to episode 7 of the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Available, as you know, on iTunes, SoundCloud and Google Play. Check out our blog site at boltfromthebluelive. Well, guys, we've never felt more like singing the blues and to sing it with us, as usual, is none other than City fan legend Walter Smith. Walter, how the hell are you? I'm very well indeed, thank you very much. I feel like Robert Johnson at the the crossroads. I'm... uh, that much of it in a blues mood. <laughs> Walter, I feel like I'm seeing you for the second time this week because I've been binge-watching All or Nothing, the Man City documentary, and then after a certain amount of time of episode one, up comes your face on the screen. What do you remember about that little part? It was recorded at the training complex, so it was quite good to sort of go and see behind the scenes as it was. And we got put into a little room, and he says, oh, have you got a city top with you? And I went, no. So they gave me a city top to wear and a city jacket. And uh, I'm sat there in a dark room with, um, felt like an interview, you know, you've got 10 different cameras looking at you. And he kept firing these questions about United. We'd just got 100 points, we'd won the league. So I was quite all buoyed up, I think. Uh, It was uh, after the Lord's Mayor's show, so it was very, very easy to be positive. I must have done about two hours worth of stuff over over the course of the season. And I reckon I got about four or five seconds in. But what a four or five, what a four or five seconds it was. It was majestic. Uh, Walter, how much of the uh, series have you seen so far? Well, as you know, I'm still on holiday. So I've uh, pinched me, me daughter's uh, iPad. And uh-huh. sometimes in the morning or late at night, I'll just think, I'll catch a sneaky half hour. So what I've done is using her data and I've uh, watched six episodes. Fantastic. I wonder if you've got to my favourite moment yet. It's the moment when Vinny and his family are watching the uh, Man United loss, which gave us the title. Have you got there yet? No, no. uh, Where am I at the moment? I've just got to where we're going to go to Anfield. Right. The Champions League League quarterfinal. So, um, in some respects... After the fact, I'm quite looking forward to to it because it's everything has gone Pep's way mm-hmm. in terms of results, in terms of uh, just the way the team's playing. So I'd be interested to, to see the human dynamics of um, what it's going to be like when Pep suffers, you know, like a real true... We didn't do ourselves justice, I believe, against Liverpool. They're like our kryptonite in that Champions League. Mm. So it'll be interesting just to see how the players react and how Pep reacts to to actually losing. You know, does he question his own methodology? Do the players in any way question him? Again, you know, it's ultimately, it was a fantastic season. We're watching it, knowing what's going to happen. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, you've got a guy in, you pick whatever country you want in the world, Australia, who doesn't really follow football and just sort of looks and he's enjoyed the All or Nothing series on Prime. Mm. When he watches it, I'd be interested to sort of gauge a completely a person who doesn't even know about football who's watching it. Like if I was going to watch the All Blacks one or the American football one, I don't follow American football or rugby. So to be honest with you, what I am going to do over the course of the next few months, I'm going to watch the all all of the all or nothings 
just to sort of contrast and compare how City's one was with it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, right. Well, I'm not going to give you too many spoilers. I've, I've actually watched the whole thing, but there is one thing that is so funny. Vinny's at home. Uh, you've seen this before, actually, Vinny at home with his uh, family and his father-in-law, who's a United supporter. And his father-in-law says to Vinny, he points at his United shirt where there's an, an, an emblem of the treble. United's fam- famous treble. There's a little emblem on his shirt and he points at it. He says to Vinny, what does that say? And quick as a flash, Vinny says, that says you're living in the past. It was, <laughs> it was wonderful. But there has been a response by Mr. Mourinho to the All or Nothing documentary series. And I quote, you can be a rich club. And buy the best players in the world, but you cannot buy class. That water. <laughs> I think Mourinho maybe should have uh, focused on uh, what Brighton were going to bring to the pitch rather than sat there binge-watching uh, about Manchester City. If there's any guy who knows about lack of class, we're looking at Jose Mourinho. This is coming from an eye-gouger to, uh, to whatever you want to call him. I mean, he's certainly left himself in a vulnerable position to go on about other teams and other players or whatever lacking class. So, I mean, this idea of him trying to get one up on City, you know, some people will buy into his BS, but I think most people will see through it. Yeah, and I think there was a good response to that on social media from some followers who pointed out that Pep actually dedicated his Manager of the Year award to Sir Alex Ferguson. That, in my opinion, is what constitutes class. But I guess we could move on to the game and before we talk about the game specifically at the end of course the city fans were were chanting we want 10 we want 10 and uh, they're referring back to november 1987 when we beat them 10-1 i'm just gonna take you on a little trip down memory lane walter so malcolm mcdonald previously been out of football and had been working as a pub manager was Huddersfield's manager at the time Mel Machen was City's manager and we were sitting 10th in the old second division 19,583 crowd at Main Road our best player Imre Varadi was missing Huddersfield were actually better for for the first 15 minutes but Neil McNabb got us started and then we had the famous three hat-tricks and I wonder if you saw Ian Cheeseman's vlog where he got the three hat-trick stars back together obviously a lot older now it was it was a fantastic little memory and um uh, the guys were saying tony adcock and paul stewart they were saying it's great because they it happened last year they get they get us together every time we play huddersfield we get free food and drink for the day and uh you know we get we get treated like celebrities but that was way back in 1987 i was doing my a levels at the time do you remember what you were doing 1987 uh, i'd have been doing i'd still in school um i missed that game because i remember i went to see brian adams of all people but my two loves are music and football so we've all grown up a little bit and we're all a bit older since then so if Brian Adams comes round, I won't be. I think I choose City this time, but I still enjoy going to meet concerts. I mean, Cheeseman, I've just got to say congratulations to him. And the reason being is he's actually been employed by Manchester City to go and do these vlogs now. Yeah. And what I found about, especially stuff last year, was uh, what we achieved last year was an unbelievable precedent. And the only sort of documentation, I mean, besides the Amazon documentary that we've all seen now, but the only documentation on a steady basis going to the live games, home and away speaking to fans was Cheeseman and you know he, he went out there and he's uh, he's a well-known face and he's a lovely fella that was the only thing we had 
last year. He spent the time and the effort, etc., etc., trying to document that season that was, you know, and how good it was and the highs and the lows. And ultimately, when you look back at it, watching the documentary from Amazon, you know what's happened. But week in, week out, when you were watching Cheesy, you didn't know how the season was going to unfold. So it's just a fantastic way to remember what happened rather than the, the shiny spit and polish of Amazon. Just, I was just, just a bloke going out and doing it on his own. So fair play to Cheesy for that. I thought and it was really good to watch and he's an engaging, entertaining fella. Yeah, it's great. Uh, we've got so many great city content providers and uh, esteemed company with his vlogs and the Man City fan TV guys as well coming in now. It's going to be much better in that respect in the future. Well, Walter, it's interesting. We've actually got off to a better start than our record-breaking season. We're top of the league now, eight goals in two games. We've just conceded one. Sergio Aguero has got a new knee, and with that, he gets his 13th hat-trick. And apparently now, he's only two hat-tricks behind Alan Shearer for the all-time record of most Premier League hat-tricks. We should start off with Sergio and what you thought about his performance in the game. If Sergio had played for another team... was at Real Madrid I think he'd be held in a lot higher regard and esteem by the media and by the press I just think when he came to Manchester City and he's just been I mean he's been phenomenal but then you look at the amount of times he's you know he's been given the player of the season or in the player you know the team of the year he doesn't seem to get the same plaudits but the beauty of it is as City fans we get to see this player and we're privileged to see this player week in week out and we can see what he brings to the table we can see a guy who's was born, let's get this right, born and placed on this planet to score goals. It's not just small goals. He's, got, he's had the biggest goal as well. And that's what he's ultimately going to be remembered for. But, I mean, he's got over 200 goals for City. He's our leading goal scorer of all time. Anybody who thinks that he's past it or he's on the, on the, on the wane needs to clock on and have a word with himself. This guy's going to be at the top of his game for at least another two seasons. It's going to be two seasons spent with us before, you know, we give him a big fanfare like we did with Yaya and send him back probably to South America to go and be with his son and just go and play for a team over there and just literally get his deck, mental deck chair out, his brandy and his cigar and just enjoy the rest of his life and, you know, get him back to Manchester once every so often just to be remembered. Fantastic, a legend and 14 goals now in his past uh, eight league appearances for Man City at the Etihad. Now, what about his little goal-scoring buddy, Gabriel Jesus? I don't know if you knew about this stat, Walter, but Gabby J scored Manchester City's 100th home Premier League goal under Guardiola, and it has taken them precisely 39 games to do so. I don't know if that's another record, but what did you think of Gabby J when he was partnering Sergio up front? The thing I like about Gabby J is whether he's having a bad day or a good day at the office, and he, he's one of them players, uh, a little bit like Raheem Sterling, that if he misses, it doesn't have that big impact that a lot of City players in the past would have, and the head doesn't go down. What you've got is a player here who just fights to the end you know and it's not just a, a saying it's not just a lip service he's there battling the whole time um, and whether he's having that good day or bad day he still brings those fighting qualities and um, what a finish you know what I mean he's uh, people forget actually how young this guy is and um, there's not a club I don't believe in the world that wouldn't say yeah, City are selling Gabby J 
would turn him down. This guy's got potential, potential. And if we can just let him unleash his potential at City, it's, you know, he's, he's the number nine for Brazil. You, know? <laughs> Where you don't get much more higher accolades than that. And I think he plays better for us than he does for Brazil because we're about the team, we're not about Neymar. Mm-hmm. And uh, such a bargain at £27 million in these overinflated days of uh, ridiculous fees. Walter, before the game, of course, a couple of days before this game, we learned about the injury to Kevin De Bruyne. And so we're all wondering what effect that's going to have. Apparently he's going to be out for a couple of months, but surgery is not required. How did you react to that? And how do you think that will affect Man City over the next two months? How I reacted at first, like most things, you know, it just gutted. Not gutted for myself, but gutted for Kevin De Bruyne. You know, this is uh, one of the best midfielders in the world. And there's not a club that wouldn't miss him on the planet. Uh, the guy's just talent. And what he also is, he's, he's talent with hard work. So there's not a club that wouldn't miss him. But if I look throughout the Premier League at the teams that could cope best with having a player like that miss him, it's Manchester City. So if you look at all the other clubs in the Premier League, Manchester City are the team that could cope with this best. We've got Riyad Mahrez. We've got Bernardo Silva could play in the middle. You're looking at Gundogan. And even this is an exciting opportunity for Phil Foden to go and show the world what what he's got in his locker. You know, he looks a, a lot bigger and a lot more mature as a player, even than he did six months ago. So it's not ideal. But then I look at the fixture list coming up as well. And I think we've only got Liverpool in October. And then we've got United on the 11th of November. And we should be... If we want to be the club that we want to be, we should be putting these teams to bed. They're the only two sort of blips that should be happening, you know, between now and Kevin De Bruyne's return. And I hope he's back for the derby. Yeah, and one person that uh, we didn't mention there, Walter, is a certain David Silva, who presented his little son Matteo before the game. And this was his 250th Premier League appearance. And what an appearance it was. What did you think of David Silva during the game what did you think of his free kick what did you think of David Silva <sighs> David Silva for me is the best player that's ever played for Manchester City and the reason being is he shows it week in and week out he's got a thought process and sometimes his pass will let him down but the idea is absolutely correct on what he's trying to execute and I was watching the game in a bar in Tenerife and I was watching it with a Brighton fan and a Chelsea fan and I was just every time David Silva got the ball I said to watch him now, just watch him. And you could see these two lads are looking going, it's just world class. He is just world class. Instead of sitting at the ground where literally everybody knows this, it's quite interesting to sit there with other football fans who appreciate football and sort of sit, sit there and go, just watch this, watch this, and point certain things out of not just individual players, but a whole pep team and about the movement that the pep team and it's that transition from uh, attack to defence and he's a, he's the the focal point of it is uh, David Silva he's a magician I mean I talked about being privileged to watch Con Aguero but to, to watch David Silva week in week out I mean I remember when he signed for us people were sort of discussing is he big enough to play in the Premier League if you're that good you don't have to be big what a wonderful performance and what a wonderful goal 
the goalkeeper stood absolutely no chance with that one. I mean, I think he dropped uh, a couple of clangers, but for that, nothing he could do. Yeah, I think it was famously said of David Silva. I think it was Jamie Redknapp at the time who said that he plays like he's got wing mirrors. They were discussing him on the recent BBC podcast, the Daily Football podcast, and they were saying about David Silva uh, that it's not really fair to compare him with old-fashioned midfielders like Gerrard and Lampard and and Scholes and guys like this because he's not the same player. He's... uh, he doesn't have that goal aspect to his game, but it's the way that he affects games, the way that he moves players around the pitch, the way he operates in tight spaces that make him uh, so special. And last season we struggled badly at times against Huddersfield, but this time people were a little bit confused when they saw the lineup because we had a lineup which had Ederson, of course, and then what looked like a nominal back three of Stones, Company and Laporte, Bernardo, Fernandinho and Mendy. Mendy and I guess Bernardo was the nominal wing back, although he didn't really take that position. Then Gundogan and David Silva and finally Aguero and Jesus. When you saw the lineup, were you just confused like everyone else was about what the heck Pep's doing? Yeah, I mean, I looked at the lineup and it's one of them where you're just thinking, hang on a minute, Pep, what a what stunt are you trying to pull today? But ultimately, we've got the best manager in the world and he's gone and studied Huddersfield and Benjamin Mendy, oh, I mean, he doesn't just fire a ball in, he passes a ball in at high speed. I mean, Aguero and Gabby Jesus and the rest of the attacking players must just be loving having Mendy in the team. I mean, we scored over 100 goals last year I absolutely dread to think what we would have got if Mendy had stayed fit. I mean, this guy, he plays two positions at once. You know, he's that he's that much of an athlete. He plays a left winger, but he's also playing a left back. And it's that ability to bomb on. And as soon as he starts bombing on, you can see the players assuming positions in the box. And Huddersfield tried that. They tried to crowd that box out. I mean, if there was a heat map, there'd just be a big blob of the Huddersfield penalty area. And, you know, that's no disrespect to Huddersfield. They came with a game plan that they thought would suit and work best. But the famous saying that I always think, or one of the best sayings I heard, if you figure out Pep's question, he simply changes the question. And if you think we were confused, can you imagine being the manager of Huddersfield or the players and looking at us and just scratching your head going, hang on a minute, we've looked at the videos of City and this is nothing like what we've seen. What are we doing, boss? What are we? Who am I supposed to be marking, boss? And the boss is just sat there with his hands on his head thinking, oh, lads, I have no idea. Just go out and give it a good crack. So, yes, it was confusing. But ultimately, my favourite scoreline in the world, 6-1. Yes, it was a little bit confusing that there was no Kyle Walker. He was sat on the bench. And actually, there has been an explanation for why Pep set it up this way. The BBC's Leon Osman made uh, this observation... He said, Pep has taken out all the guys with pace and he's got his footballers on. Guys with quick feet that can operate in small spaces. That's how he plans to beat Huddersfield and that's how he plans to counter their parked bus. And the result, Walter, was 77% possession, 32 shots at goal. And City now have multiple ways in which they can successfully approach a game which is an ominous sign for the 
for the Premier League, and particularly ominous, Walter, was that bench. Sterling, Mares, Sane, Walker, Foden, Otamendi, and Bravo on the bench, with KDB obviously being injured. That is absolutely frightening. But I wanted to get your comments on Leon Osman's tactical analysis, that he actually took off all of the pacey guys and just used guys that can control the ball in tight spaces and that was his method of getting through the parked bus. What did you think about that? Does that sound right to you? It's a, Yeah, it's an interesting observation. Uh, I, I had a slightly different theory in that the fact that Kyle Walker and Sterling is a very sort of high-energy position, and they played a lot of games in the World Cup, and they went deep into the World Cup as well. So I'm wondering, is, if, is he managing the squad? Because he's not just looking at Huddersfield, he's looking at games and games and games and games on down the line. I know Pep certainly came out with the idea that Huddersfield didn't send a lot of players to the World Cup. So all their players arrived back pretty much for pre-season and were ready for their manager to implement. And, you know, it must be a nightmare for Pep to sort of sit. You've got your pre-season and then you've got such and such of players all arriving back in trips and drabs. And you're trying to get the one consistent message out to them. So I think, yeah, it's an interesting analysis. And I never really thought about that, that Leon Osman was sort of saying. If I was a Huddersfield Town defender and I was sat there thinking, this is great, you know, they're taking off such and such, I must be having a good game. And then Mares and Sani come on, you'd just be like Ed in hands thinking, God, fresh legs, they're going to be coming at me. It's absolutely fundamental for us to do well. And by well, I mean be Premier League champions and go even further in the Champions League to have this massive, big, deep squad and have this fantastic bench that you're talking about. Because all these players ultimately are going to get their turn to show what they can do and what they can bring, not only just for themselves, but what can they bring to Manchester City. And what I love is, I don't know about you, but I'm certainly viewing the squad completely differently. And I've only watched six of the Amazon documentaries. I mean, you, you get to, you get an insight and you almost feel like you know these players, if you know what I mean. You can see these guys are millionaires, but Pep's riding them and he's riding them hard. Do you know what I mean? He's, I think Manchester City are the first team, I mean, I believe, that are going to retain the title, what, in the last 10 years? The proof's in the pudding, the way we've sort of set out. I mean, you spoke about being top of the league. Well, being top of the league at this stage really, really, really just does count for nothing. The fact that we're top of the league and we've, I suppose we've played, we've played Chelsea so far, yeah, that you know we put one of them to bed already at the top six, but ultimately it counts for absolutely nothing. If we lose one game before Christmas, we will have less points than we did at Christmas last year, and I don't really don't want to compare this season to last season because ultimately it's a a massive big yardstick to beat us with, because. 100 points, I don't think, you know, that's a once-in-a-lifetime achievement. If we do it this year, I'll be bowled over. I will be, I I can't see it happening because we got so many sort of late strikes on last year, you know, the Southampton, the Bournemouth. If those were to go the wrong way, we'd have still won the league, but don't compare us, don't compare us to last season in the league. Let's just enjoy it and let's just win it again. But, you know, we're going to win it differently. Yeah. Now, one of the interesting things that I noticed was comment from Sam Lee when he was doing his tactical analysis. And uh, you'll remember, Walter, that uh, traditionally there's, a, there's a, a common criticism of football managers when they say about a manager, he doesn't know his best starting eleven. 
And just like Apollo Creed in the Rocky movies going, there is no tomorrow, there is no tomorrow, Sam Lee was saying, there is, there is no best starting 11. There is none. You've got to forget this idea about a best starting 11. You will not have a fixed starting 11 for Manchester City this season. Do you agree with that? Um, I think there is a best starting 11, and I think it depends on the opposition. I think there's a best starting 11 depending on who we're playing. If we're in the Champions League final, we're certainly going to find out who uh, Pep believes his best starting 11 is depending upon the opposition. If I asked 10 City fans who's the best starting 11, I'd probably get 10 different answers. Mm-hmm. But I think Pep studies each and every single team and then depending on depending on injuries, depending on whether players, I mean, are tired or I don't want to use tired, but are more susceptible to injury because the legs are slightly tired. I mean, I don't know, but what I do know is Pep, you say he doesn't know his best 11. He does, but it just depends on who who we're going to play. Well, some people were saying, Walter, that Huddersfield badly missed the midfield presence of Aaron Moy. Aaron Moy's wife went into labour and he missed the game. Do you think he would have made much of a difference? (laughs) No. I mean, Aaron Moy, he is their best player. And he's shown that he can operate in tight places. And I mean, the thing I love about Aaron Moy is we bought Melbourne and then sold Aaron Moy for more than we bought Melbourne. So it was like a freebie. He's a fantastic talent. You know, congratulations to him. And, you know, I hope everything goes well, you know, in his personal life and uh, with the baby. And uh, I hope he has a really good season for Huddersfield as well. You know, he just, he's a quiet professional who's dropped down a league, came over from halfway around the world, dropped down a league. And has proved his talent. And now, is if Huddersfield get relegated, there's no way he's going to be playing in the Championship. He's going to be playing in the Premier League. Someone's going to snap him up because the guy's a quality player. Let's talk about the goals. Now, the first goal was very interesting for me because 25 minutes, City were probing, and then something did happen. And it looked like Ederson, finding the whole thing a little bit boring, called to his caddy and asked for the nine iron, and then pitched. <laughs> An 86-yard missile pass, which was no accident because the team parted in the middle for that ball to come through and land at the feet of Sergio Aguero. And when Aguero got the ball, there was still a lot to do. My goodness, he wrong-footed Christopher Schindler outside the area and then just took out another golf club, a pitching wedge, and pitched that beautifully over the goalkeeper, uh, Hamer, who was doing his best to, to stop that from happening. What did you think of that? That Not only the goal itself, but also the setup from Ederson. Well, I, I, I remember when uh, I was reading the, the pet book when he was at Bayern Munich, and he said that they looked at Ederson and had to rethink the whole high line that Bayern Munich were going to play. He said this guy was just like a... They'd never seen something like it in football before. And something must have stuck with Pep, where he just thought, even when I get to another club, this is a goalkeeper I'm interested in, because what a pass. You know, it's one of them moments you just think, that's just absolute brilliant. And the fact that it didn't happen in the first few minutes, you could see the patience of him. So, yeah, yeah, we'll just leave it, we'll just leave it. And then just 86 yards on a ninepence. And to be honest, I thought the goalkeeper for Huddersfield dropped a clanger there. He, he, he shouldn't have. He should have left the defender. 
Aguero can only do what Aguero can do in that situation. He sees the two of them there and he just thinks, well, I'm not going to get past both of them. I'll knock it over. And <sighs> Aguero is Aguero. He's just great, isn't he? And often the hardest goal to score, especially when you're playing against a team that part of the bus, is that first goal. And, you know, once that one goes in, the floodgates ultimately are a lot easier to open. The floodgates did open indeed, Walter, because six minutes later, the marauding, foraging, Benjamin Mendy bursting through, trading passes uh, with Jesus. The ball took quite a fortuitous bounce and it was struck so sweetly by Gabby J into the corner and uh, he absolutely rifled that home. Did you like that one? Yeah, I mean, let's not beat around the bush here. There was a lot of good fortune in that goal, but you've got to... You've got to be in it to win it, so to speak. You've got to be pressing up front and you've got to be on the foot front if you want to take advantage of these fortuitous moments. And Gabby J certainly did. And it was a lovely finish as well. The way he just, you know, one of those sweet strikes. He's hit it and there's not many places that the goalkeeper wouldn't have had a good opportunity to save it. And he's just caught it and it's literally rifled into the bottom corner and I just thought the young Brazilian is back and he's back with a bang. Four minutes later, Walter, it's Mendy at it again. He bolts forward, he does his traditional role up the wing and he fires in a cross that's so powerful that the goalkeeper can't hold it and Aguero was just in there on the rebound. That was a fantastic example of just what Ben Mendy can do for you. A lot of people said, that, of course, the goalkeeper was at fault, but that cross was hit with such venom. It would have taken a goalkeeper with a, a very strong pair of wrists to stop that from spilling out. I think you've been very kind there. I thought the goalkeeper was at fault again myself. Yeah. I'll tell you what I did enjoy was um, Jermaine uh, Defoe saying that that was his favourite goal because... Aguero was just alive in the box. You know what I mean? He's just seen one little tiny chink of weakness there and pounced on it and just ultimately punished Huddersfield. And once that happened, it's game over, isn't it? 3-0 up, you're not going to lose many of them. So that was the, the sort of relaxation goal, for, certainly for myself watching it. And then I knew that I could go on and enjoy the rest of the game with you know without breaking a sweat. This is... This is us in cruise control and just ultimately showing how good we can be. Exhibition stuff, as it were. Yeah, it did feel like a training game. But nonetheless, Walter, uh, eight minutes later, City switched off because uh, Philip Billing, a player that I'd never really been familiar with before, uh, launched a long throw. And uh, I think it was Gabby J went up against Mounier. But Mounier beat uh, Jesus to the ball, got a flick on. And John Stones wasn't quite alive to the threat and Stankovic put the ball in the net to give Huddersfield a little bit of a lifeline. What did you think about that one? It wasn't a lifeline. Uh, it was uh, more like a consolation. If you're going to concede a goal where you do slightly switch off, what a perfect time to concede it because Pep can go in and speak to John Stones, basically speak to John Stones and get John Stones on side and try and explain to him that if you do switch off... Not that it matters so much now, but you need to be alive and alert all season. You need to be switched on. And if you're going to concede, perfect, because it's just in time. It's fresh in Pep's head, fresh in Stones, is there. And he goes and speaks to him there and then about the importance of being alive in the game. So were they back in it? No. It almost reminded me of the time that Stokes scored two goals and City kind of went, hang on a minute. They're getting back into this and scored another four. Do you know, making it 7-2. 
So I wasn't concerned. I was, you know, not happy that we conceded, but if we're going to concede about switching off, perfect time to do it. Well, whatever Pep said at half-time certainly worked because only three minutes after the restart, City win free kick and bang, David Silva hits a free kick into the top corner and uh, all of the pundits agree that neither the wall nor the goalkeeper could do anything about that one. What did you? How did you see that one? Well, uh, I mean, I've already blamed the goalkeeper for two of the first three goals, but in no way, shape or form are going to be critical of... Uh, Hamer in net for the fourth because <laughs> you could have had two goalkeepers in, as they say, and nobody would have stopped that. It was just perfect top corner, hit with speed, hit with bend, hit with precision. Somebody had scored that goal against us. You just put your hands up and, you know, applaud them in the ground and say, fair play, you know, that's talent and... <sighs> What else are you going to do? Yeah, I didn't think David Silva actually took free kicks. I mean, that would have been Kevin De Bruyne's probably to try, or maybe Mares if he had been on. But uh, that was a wonderful effort. And then there was just chance after chance. City didn't really take full advantage of the chances that we had until the 84th minute. And this is Leroy, who seems to be back in form again, going slaloming down the left, forces a save from Hammer, but... We got a bit of luck there. The ball took a ricochet between uh, the goalkeeper and Congolo and ended up in the net. Would you give uh, Leroy the credit for that or would you just say it was a defensive howler? He's a young lad and what I like about it now is Pep's dropped him from the side and now he's got a point to prove. He was dropped by Germany, dropped yesterday by City. Let's get it right. This guy's got all the tools to be one of the best in the world. If he if he's managed properly, and people talk about the ego. That's managed properly. You know, this guy's going to go on and blow the doors off. But give it to him. You know, he, he's uh, as I said. You've got to be on the front front on on the foot front to to sort of take advantage of these opportunities. And Sane did that yesterday. So yeah. Churlish not to give it to him, if you know what I mean. Here's a stat for you, Walter. I know you like stats. City made 759 passes against Huddersfield, misplacing only 52 of them. That's 7% of misplaced chances. In comparison, Manchester United made 570 passes versus Brighton, misplacing 87 of them, that's 15%. And 27 of those passes, that's a third of them, were misplaced by their captain that cost them nearly £100 million. What do you think about that stat? City's passing, I mean, what you've got to remember is we're playing against a team that had so many people in their box and a lot of our passes were into the box. So the 7% can seem quite high, 52 can seem quite high, but if you look at the way we played, I mean, you said I'm a massive fan of stats. I really, I, I'm really not. I'm a massive fan of believing what I see with my own eyes. I'll go to a game and you know, Gundogan has got the highest ever passes because when we played Chelsea, did he have the best game? Well, no, we played well. What you're looking at is believing what you see with your eyes. And when you go to the game and you're looking at a player, you know if he's a player or not. Passes are easy to manufacture, aren't they? You know, you just knock it round the back by yourself. Uh, Pogba, see, I'm looking at two different players. I'm looking at World Cup Pogba, and I'm also looking at Man United Pogba. And the chalk and cheese, uh, what's going on there? I don't know, but long, long may it continue.
Walter, uh, City have a, a famous song about when City win and United lose. We can't finish off without mentioning it. That's what really makes it for City fans. When City win, it's absolutely fantastic. But it's always a little cherry on the top of the cake when United lose. Do you feel that we dodged a bullet in not signing Fred? Because we all saw his display. He did air kicks. He completely missed the ball and was regularly losing possession. What did you think about that? Do you think that we maybe dodged a bullet there? I wonder, I mean, I look at some of the players United signed, and it seems to be players that City are appearing to be interested in. Uh, Jorginho had a great game for Chelsea, by the way, and I think we did miss out there. Well, But again, it's only two games, and people are willing to write off some players, Vidic after two games, Ever after two games, you know, David Silver after two games. So, these are young men who are travelling around the world and, yes, he was awful. But, that's been coached by Mourinho, not Pep. So, people are saying that these players are different under different managers. And if these guys... Of course, it, it speaks well of them that Pep was interested in them. But when you get a player, he can perform very differently under one coach than another. I think that's maybe the point. Do you, do you not agree? Yeah, again, I just look back at Pogba. World Cup Pogba, Man United Pogba. Mm-hmm. They're two completely different players. So I hope that Mourinho doesn't lose the next few games because I want him at Man United for a long, long time yet. I want it to be... Uh, do you know when you pop the balloon? I don't want it to go bang. I want it to slowly seep down, if you know what I mean. I want to enjoy this ride. Yeah, a very, very funny moment in that match was when the Brighton fans started singing... Your city is blue, your city is blue. Just like in Brighton, your city is blue. That was a a wonderful little chant that they were singing as the game was closing out. Of course, United got a fortuitous penalty and it managed to make the scoreline a a little less disastrous. But uh, that was was very, very gratifying. I was just saying, I watched the game with a Brighton fan. He's a mate of mine over here and he's a season ticket holder at Brighton. And he was, they were singing that last year at them. Because, believe it or not, Brighton beat them last year as well. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the, Lingard did a dive at the end and he didn't get a penalty last year. I think Fellaini did a dive and they did get a penalty this year. I mean, you talk about it not being so disastrous. United fans were expecting to completely roll over Brighton. There, were, there was predictions of 4-0, you know, 2-0, 3-0. They didn't see, they didn't see what was coming down the, down the track. And there's going to be a lot of pissed-off United fans because, ultimately, you say it wasn't a disaster because they got the second, but they ended up with zero points. And already, I mean, I was listening to uh, some of the 606, and it's almost like they're throwing in the towel. In other words, City might as well be Celtic. I know. And also, it's, it's funny because people are always talking about Jose's brand of football not not being entertaining i was very entertained by what i saw it was absolutely <laughs> i mean I, I i had visions of jose coming out at the end like russell crowe and gladiator and yelling are you not entertained with these uh, incredible passes being sprayed all over the place hitting everywhere but the target man Let's just finish off, Walter, with just a few small things. Brendan Rodgers was at the game, and there was speculation about who he's got his sights on from our fringe players. Now, he already has Arzani, Daniel Arzani, that we signed. 
and he's got uh, Arzani on a two-year loan. Who do you reckon Rogers was there to see, or or was he just there thinking, I'm going to try to learn something about how to play a football game? If you're a football manager and you're not looking at Pep and you're not trying to learn, you're an idiot. Um, this is a guy who's completely at the top. He's, he's at the pinnacle, isn't he? Who, Brendan? Oh, well, of course. No, Pep. He's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, Brendan Rodgers has done a great job at Celtic. You know, he's, um, they haven't progressed as we would have liked within the Champions League. But, you know, that's ultimately his bread and butter is to keep the, keep the machine ticking over and make sure that Celtic keep winning the league. And, you know, they're doing that at a canter. But Brendan Rodgers, no idea who's going to be looking. It'll be interesting because it's a good place to send some of the youngsters in terms of it's a winning mentality, it's a winning squad within their niche of the Scottish football. So it's easy to get on and have a look what they're doing. And on top of that, it gives the players a good experience. And that's why we continue to send players there. It's not just a one-off. We've sent a few in the past, whether it's Denea or Roberts. And ultimately, they must be doing something right for City to keep sending players back. Funny you mentioned Denea, because that was going to be my last point, Walter. It seems to be all but confirmed that Denea, who we all thought was going to go back to Galatasaray, is going to be signed by Lyon. What did you think when you heard that? Denea needs to leave Manchester City. And in many respects, if you if you give him a time machine, I don't think he would have signed that contract extension like he did. He needs to leave Manchester City just for his own personal development. He's never going to get into the Manchester City team. He's a good player, but he's not good enough for us, and especially the way we're playing now. He's not going to get in ahead of Laporte, ahead of Stones. You know, ahead of uh, Otamende or ahead of company, even. So you're looking at a player there for his own professional development, needs to move on. And, you know, I wish him the absolute best of luck because he was willing to commit his future to Manchester City. So, and he's never done anything to upset me, upset myself. So good luck to him. Okay, Blues, I think that just about wraps it up for the both of us. Be sure to tune in again next week to the Bolt from the Blue podcast. Walter is on Twitter at Man City Smith, isn't that right, Walter? It certainly is. And I'm there too at Bolt from the Blue on Twitter. Guys, if you've got any questions or comments or anything you'd like for us to discuss on these episodes, please get in contact with us through the usual channels. Until then, up the blues. Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-hmm.